It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. Hello, and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it is an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be a fantastic and amazing show. I'll be introducing my guest shortly, and I promise this will be a fun and informative hour. It's going to be terrific. I do want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I usually do this every single week. And before I forget, this episode is brought to you by Phone Sites. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any tech skills or without downloading an app. Try it free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Lately, I've been thinking about confidence. This started a few days ago when I shared a quote by a friend of mine that simply states, confidence is the quality that creates attraction in all aspects of our lives. Think about how true that is for a moment. Would we follow a leader who doesn't inspire confidence? Would we want to associate with someone who doesn't show confidence in themselves or others? Absolutely not. Having confidence in your skills and talents is the starting place to begin taking action. And as we all know, action is the thing that is needed to achieve anything. That being said, there are times when we all lack confidence in some areas of our lives. If that thing you are struggling with is important enough, then give it a shot and see what happens. Anything worth doing may not go well at first, but that could end up being something where you experience your greatest victory. Do it today. You will be so glad you did. With all this in mind, I do want to introduce my guest. But before I forget, if you've not picked up my most recent book, it's called Success Profiles, Conversations with High Achievers, Volume 2. It went to number one in multiple categories on Amazon. The Kindle version is 99 cents. Get it? It's a steal. You can't even shake a stick at it. I interviewed Kevin Harrington, Dan Locke, Chris Powell from ABC's Extreme Weight Loss, Brad Sugars, and a whole host of other amazing world-class achievers. You can learn what they did, the obstacles they overcame, and believe me, the path to success is never easy for anyone and the lessons we can learn from it, very much like the theme of this show. And my very special guest this week is Alan Hunkins. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the author of the book, Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. He's a sought-after speaker, consultant, trainer, and coach. And over his 20-plus year career, he's led over 2,000 groups in 25 countries. Some of Alan's clients include Walmart, Pfizer, Citigroup, General Electric, State Farm, IBM, General Motors, Microsoft. The list just goes on and on. He's designed and facilitated seminars on numerous leadership topics, including team building, Conflict management, communication, peak performance, innovation, engagement, and change, which is so important right now. He also serves on the faculty of Duke Corporate Education and has published over 400 articles on the topic of leadership. I think it's very easy to say he's a leadership expert. So we'll have a lot to talk about today. So here we are with my very special guest, Alan Hunkins. How are you today? I am great. I'm so excited to talk to you, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on your program. Hey, you're so very welcome. So let's talk about... How you got started, did you envision early in your life that you would be where you are right now? 
Absolutely not. No. I mean, it's so interesting, you know, when you're a kid, like I'm going to grow up and think and write about leadership. No way. And that was not at all. However, if I look back, there is a common thread throughout my life, which has been I have always been fascinated by people. Why do people do what they do? You know, and also particularly, why do leaders have such an impact? And I was always interested in psychology and I actually studied psychology in school and after I finished my undergrad, which I sort of dabbled in a lot of different things, actually went on to graduate school. I went to an acting conservatory for three years. So I actually got to put myself under the microscope as it were because acting is all about the science and art of human behavior. So learned a lot about that and then started teaching in schools, doing leadership training, using arts and education in junior high schools and high schools in New York City. And then from there, transitioned over to working with corporate groups and have been doing that for about 23 years. And so the thread has always been a real deep passion and fascination for understanding what makes people do what they do because we're a pretty strange species. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the fact that you went to acting school. You must have had a vision for what you thought your life was going to look like at that point. Totally. I thought I was going to go on and, you know, make it big in the business as it were. And what I found was, you know, I had this real idealistic notion that, you know, I think that when when we're all moved by either a great movie or a great piece of theater is that somehow there's something in that art that reflects back us uh, back at us and helps us to see ourselves in a different way. And what I have found actually in all of the leadership training and coaching I do, it's actually a more direct path to achieving that outcome. So in some ways, I still get to perform, you know, speaking in front of hundreds of people. Yeah. But I feel like the impact I'm having is much more direct than using the, the bigger metaphor of art, where actually yeah. now people get to be the protagonist in their own life as opposed to yeah. having to reflect it in someone else's. Yeah. And a long time ago, I interviewed somebody who has dabbled in both acting and business very much like you have. And so I will ask you, what do you think are the similarities between acting and running a business? Well, for one thing, we all play roles every day. The fact is when we put on our leader hat, we are stepping into role and we step into it. We step out of it much in the same way we step into our parent hat or our teacher hat or son or friend or girlfriend hat. And so understanding your role is really useful. I think one of the most valuable lessons that I got from acting school is very early on in order to be successful at all, you need to learn how to separate yourself from the work right? Because I'm playing a character. That's not me, but I'm inhabiting that character. So one of the things that's really useful is to learn to grow a thick enough skin that you don't take things super personally, but at the same time, you have enough sensitivity that you can feel empathy because when you're stepping into character, you're really trying to inhabit someone else's character and existence. Yeah. And such a, and I think for leaders that's in, in businesses, it's such a valuable skill for us to be able to take the perspective, whether it's of our colleagues or employees yeah. or our customers. You know, we talk so much in my book. I write a lot about the importance of leading with empathy yeah. and empathy is really around being able to see things the way other people see them as well as to care how they feel. And I think acting was such a great training for that yeah. empathic skill because you that's what actors traffic in all the time is Absolutely. that free flow of empathy. Yeah. So how did you get started as a speaker and a consultant? 
Well, I started with that because I had a certain skill set from acting school, and I was also really interested in group process facilitation. I actually got involved with doing some personal development work where I was in a group of people really getting a chance to kind of go deeper in terms of looking at who am I? Mm-hmm. What do I what, what are my values? And I just found that work. You know, I was at the time 26 or 27 years old, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is great. I mean, I wish I had learned about this sooner. And I'm sitting in circles with people who are like 40 and 50 years old, and they're thinking, I wish I learned about this when I was your age. So what I realized then was this this path of kind of growth and development. Then I started leading trainings that were focused on – behavioral skills. So that's what got me involved with doing training. And then from there, I started branching out and putting together designing courses and then leading, doing keynote speeches. And that just sort of blossomed from there. So it all built over time. I love that. We've got about three minutes or so to our first break. As you've progressed in your career, how did your concept of leadership evolve? Oh my gosh, what a great question, Brian. So, you know, Funny story that kind of encapsulates it. When I was early in my career, I was actually volunteering for a not-for-profit, and I'd been involved with them for about three years, and the executive director stepped down. So I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to throw my hat in the ring. And so they had an election. They used to do this annual meeting where they would elect the new executive director. So I decided I was going to step up and do this. And in my mind, I was a complete shoe-in for the job because I'd worked harder than anybody else, and I thought I just was doing great work, and everyone should know that. So I stepped, I put my hat in the ring. So we had this election and there was one other guy who was also competing for the role and his name was Gary. And Gary had owned his own business, but I've been around for three years and Gary was around for like four months. So he was really new. So I thought there's no way Gary can win. Well, long story short, we have the election that comes. Final score is 38 to six. And as I see the numbers, I think, yes, I crushed it. And it took me that moment to realize, no, actually, Gary got the 38 votes. I got six. I got crushed. And oh. I, the, the huge lesson I got from all that, Brian, was that I was operating with a mindset that I deserved to be a leader, that I was entitled to that job, that somehow my good work should speak for itself. What I hadn't done was reach out to people, build relationships, connect with them, ask them what they wanted, and see if they would support me, which is exactly, by the way, what Gary did. So recognizing that leadership isn't about a title. Leadership is a relationship between two people. And that was a lesson. Obviously, it was a great failure because I learned a ton from it. And what I find, you know, people ask me, you know, what's one of the biggest challenges that leaders have? So many leaders get promoted into a role. And I like to use the analogy of, okay, here, Brian, you've been promoted. I'm going to buy you a big grand piano and it's in your house. You're now a pianist, right? So you you got the piano. But, Brian, are you a pianist at this moment? No. No, you can whack at the keys, but you're no pianist. In a lot of ways, a lot of people step into the leadership role. It's the same thing. Just having the title doesn't make you a leader. The fact is leadership is a set of skills, much in the way a pianist has got to learn a bunch of scales and get, get better and practice that. That's what leaders need to do, too, is to learn the skills of becoming an actually effective leader. Right. And one of my favorite examples is someone who's a brilliant chef and then someone says, you need to own your own restaurant. Well, no, no, the skill set is so different. Just because you're a great cook doesn't mean you can run a whole business. 
Completely, completely. And so that's that's the role is is that we have to realize if we want to step into this, it means learning a whole lot of new things and probably unlearning a lot of stuff that we used to depend on. Absolutely. And we are up against our first break. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Alan Hunkins. His book is called Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And we're going to talk about something that not a lot of people talk about. A lot of people talk about creating a great customer experience, but very few people talk about creating a great employee experience. We will discuss all of that and so much more when we come back. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please stay with us. Don't go away. We will be right back. The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Alan Hunkins. And we're going to talk about his book, Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. The first question I do want to ask you before we get to that is, what is your big why? What's your big mission? What gets you up in the morning? Uh, my big mission is I want to create this wonderfully vibrant and alive world by kindling the fire of brilliance in people. I love that. Boom. There you have it. You know, what's amazing is that mission hasn't changed since 1994. It's taken on new things, but I'm pretty clear on that's what gets me out of bed every single day. That's fantastic. Let's talk about your book. What is it about? Well, Cracking the Leadership Code is really about how to become a stronger leader. I think I have yet to meet anyone in a leadership role who doesn't mean to do well. Like We all have great intentions. We want to do a good job. We want to be the leaders that we aspire to be. However, there's a big gap between our intentions and how that's perceived. So the subtitle of the book is The Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. So obviously, before we can get into the tools and the secrets, we need to have the right mindset. So the book starts off by giving people context and understand that, in fact, you have most undoubtedly inherited the leadership legacy of some really mediocre leaders that has served maybe 100 years ago back in the industrial age, but Mm -hmm. doesn't serve us anymore. So it starts with that to help people to understand the mindset that we have to overcome to be able to be great leaders. And then from there, we dive deep into these three secrets. And the three secrets of building strong leaders are connection, communication, and collaboration. And in each of those sections, we explore not just the topic, but what gets in the way. 
So I, I, again, it's pretty common sense, right? That's nothing new to anyone, connection, communication, right. collaboration. The challenge for us is what are the things that I do day to day that get in the way of my ability to connect or communicate or collaborate? So we look at some of those obstacles that get in our way, as well as here are some specific very practical tools that you can use to become a stronger connector or yeah. communicator or collaborator. Yeah, and I, I love that. And, and something that strikes me as you said that is in order to do the things that you want to do, you have to strip away the things that aren't serving you because some people aren't good at connecting. Some people really aren't good at communicating and other people just don't want to collaborate because they want all the credit or they think they can just do it all themselves. And that gets in the way of effectiveness, doesn't it? Completely gets in the way. And so really the journey of leadership development – and by the way, when I say leader here today, we are not talking about a job title. To me, leadership is a state of mind and being. In fact, any time that you are trying to influence anyone else to try to get something done, you're stepping into leadership. So this is applicable Mm -hmm. in every aspect of our lives. So for me, as I think about looking at those things that get in the way, the first – test of developing ourselves is are we willing to hold up the mirror what you know psychologists will call self-awareness because let's face it most of us would rather not because a real honest look in the mirror means taking a look at my flaws and my faults and a lot of us would just rather just not see them and just do what we do right but if if we do what we do we're going to get what we got which means we're not going to grow and develop and, and become the leaders that we aspire to be we're going to be the same people we were which is going to be an issue. And the studies would say that only 23% of people believe that the leaders that lead them are effective. So that's a lot of room for improvement. Absolutely. I Yeah, that is so important. A lot of books talk about creating a great customer experience, but very few people talk about creating a great employee experience. Tell us about that. Yeah. So let's first of all talk about what an experience is, right? Sure. So, so often, so many organizations think that, you know, what I'm selling to my customers is my service or my product. Well, customers are buying way more than your product or your service. They are actually buying the entire experience of what it's like to work with you, including, let's say they're searching for your product. Well, when they go on on Google and they start searching, do they find you? And when they find you, is your website easy to navigate? And what's their experience of that? So every single one of those touch points, whether it's navigating the website or ordering from you, I mean, obviously Amazon has made it you know, everyone knows what one click means, right? So it sort of has raised the bar on, you know, getting the friction out of the experience. So we love that now and we expect it as much as we can wherever we can. So even if you're not competing directly against Amazon, you are now competing in mind share for the ease of use that people expect in general, which is a little scary and also a great opportunity. So if we think about that's the customer experience, that customers have this amazingly high expectation than they did even 10 or 15 years ago, well, guess what? Your employees have a very high expectation of what they want from work. A recent study I saw on LinkedIn found that the number one reason that people would leave and find another job is their inability to learn and grow at their current employer. So we have to think if we're looking at attracting and retaining and engaging the top performers in our industry or field is what are we doing at every single touch point along the way to create an optimal employee experience. So what are we doing in the recruiting process that sets us apart? What are we doing in the hiring process? What are we doing on the first day on the job? Because let's face it, the first day 
is only one, you know, it could be an eight hour workday. So it's just one day, but it has such outsized impact on the impression that people walk away with. So in the book, I share this story of this guy. It's, it's his horrible, terrible first day of work where literally everything goes wrong from the time he shows up. They don't even know he's coming. The person that's hired him is out of town on a business trip. He has to wait in a cubicle for two hours from someone from IT to show up who can't get him a laptop working. I mean, long story short, he quits the company within three days. And sadly, too many of us have had that experience. And at the end of the day, who are you going to blame for that? It comes down to the leadership. Leaders need to be able to step back see the big picture and understand what are all those touch points and what am I doing to optimize all those touch points so that at the end of, let's say, the first week on the job, people are going, oh, my gosh, this was the best decision I ever made to join this company. Absolutely. And sometimes, in my experience, the first day is terrific, but the honeymoon ends really fast. What can we do to make sure the honeymoon doesn't ever end, keeping that feeling of I love working here? Well, I'd say let's go back to the fundamentals. Like, So there's a lot of things we can do, but I'd start with connection. So often I think, you know, if we're just doing the honeymoon thing and it goes away, what it means is we are just living out at the surface level, just giving people the facade of this is a great place to work. And I think what people want more than anything else is to know that they're valued and recognized and respected. And the way you do that is by having regular connection, checking in with Ideally, your immediate supervisor. And when they're checking in with you, are they asking you questions? This comes into communication now. So ideally, leaders should be doing a lot more what I'll call pulling than pushing. So if I was working with you, Brian, and you know I'm, I'm your supervisor, I wouldn't come in and say, okay, Brian, this is what you need to do this week. How, this is what's going on. Are you, do you understand? As opposed to going, Brian, how are you feeling? What's going on? How can I support you? And actually drawing you out because adults ideally love to be self-directed. And the more that we as leaders can get out of this idea of us as these commanders and controllers and more into this idea that we are actually facilitators to draw out and unleash the inherent motivation that's already there, the more effective and also more sustainable our leadership and our organizations will be. Absolutely. You touched on an example before our first break about how the person you were competing with for that executive director position asked people what they wanted. How have you implemented that lesson going forward? Because it is important to ask people what they want. If you're leading people, you want to know what their expectations are. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, people are good at many things, but reading minds is definitely not one of them. And so I have I have implemented that. So in my work, I'd say, you know, underneath being a speaker and a writer and a coach and a trainer, I'm a consultant. And so I have over the years developed a series of stock questions that whenever I'm in a relationship with someone, whether that's a new client, a coaching client, or an organization I'm going to speak to, I approach it with this curiosity, what I call kind of my consultant hat. And I have some standard stock questions. I'll come in, like very standard question would be, so what's the biggest challenge that you and your team are facing right now, right? Mm -hmm. And, And then my job is to shut up and listen. And then depending on what they say, let's say they say, oh, well, you know, we're really having a hard time communicating. 
tell me more about that. So then I mm-hmm. probe deeper. And so what I'm looking at doing is pulling out information. And as they share more and more and they say things like, well, you know, in the communication, we are really siloed and we've got people who are geographically spread all over the country. And I'll just repeat back and say, so I understand that you're having a hard time because you're all siloed. Suddenly I'm mirroring and reflecting with their words and they're thinking, this guy gets me because I'm showing them that I'm not just listening. I'm actually understanding them. So I find using this consultative approach is such a valuable tool in leadership. And it's unfortunately, it's undervalued. Too many leaders think it's my job to stand up there on the platform and tell people what they need to hear. It's like, yeah. why not? Why not ask them what would be most useful? Seems like a yeah. much more a much more beneficial strategy. Absolutely. If so few people lead well, what are they doing differently? The, what the, the ones that are leading well, what are they doing? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the ones that are leading well, I think what they're doing is, first of all, I think they have a fundamental understanding that no matter what business or industry you are in, ultimately you're in the people business because it takes people to deliver results. And I think the best leaders have done this wonderful shift. I want to tell you a story about a guy named Matt who actually illustrates everything about this. So Matt is a district manager for a global fast food franchise, one of the biggest fast food chains in the world. And his particular company owns a hundred different, they have a hundred different districts. They have about 900 different fast food restaurants and each district manager oversees somewhere between eight and 10 different restaurants. So when I met Matt out of the hundred district managers, he was ranked as the number one top manager. And when I, I said to him, so Matt, have you always been number one? He said, no, when I started, I was like 84 on this list of 100. So I said, what changed? He said, when I started, I used to think my job was to be the fixer. I would look at the numbers, the metrics of what was going on, and I'd see what was in red, and I'd run around from store to store in my car, and I'd go, this is wrong. You need to fix this. This is wrong. And I saw people as these worker bees, and their job was to basically do what I thought needed to get done. And I was struggling. I really wasn't doing any better. The stores weren't doing better. My results were plummeting. Mm. And he said, I, I had a mentor who said, people don't want a fixer. They want a leader. They want someone who knows that that leader cares about them first. So he shifted his strategy. So he started coming in and saying, so Brian, how are you today? How was your weekend? And if you talk about you know, the game that was on, he knew that sports was important to you. Or if you talked about your family, he knew that family was important. And so, and then he'd come in with his list, the same list of red metrics that still needed to be fixed, but he'd say, hey, here's the list. What do you think we should do? So he started focusing first on the people. And the way when Matt summarized the whole story was for me, he said, you know, when I started, I was so focused on the numbers. And what I've gotten to realize is Great leaders focus on the people because they realize it's the people that make the numbers. It's not that the numbers go away. It's just you reprioritize what's important. And when I did that, everything changed. And then he said, here's the kicker. He said, not only am I number one on the on the list out of 100 district managers, my life is so much easier. I don't work nearly as hard as I used to. And I'm having so much more fun doing it than I used to. So for me, the big shift. It's moving from that fixer mentality to being a genuine leader. I love all of that. We are going to come back after the break and discuss more with Alan Hunkins. And we're going to talk about Cracking Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And we will come right back after the break. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please stay with us. Don't go away. We will come right back shortly on the other side. We'll be right back. 
The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. This is the TogiNet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Lan Hunkins. And if you have not subscribed to Success Profiles Magazine yet, please do that. The April issue is out. The special guest was Mark Victor Hansen, who I interviewed on this show just a few weeks ago. His new book is about asking for what you want. Look that up. It's a pink-covered, purple-covered book. But get Success Profiles Magazine. You can get it for a dollar for seven days, and you can subscribe uh, from there. So I would love that. In fact, the May issue is going to be about the new movie called How Thoughts Become Things, and Dennis Waitley is going to be my cover, and his interview on Success Profiles Radio will be released next week. Can't wait for you to hear that. So let's talk some more about leadership, Alan. How does emotional intelligence measure into this? Because a lot of leaders just don't seem to have it together mentally. Well, the <laughs> mentally, physically, emotionally, yeah. So how does this all fit together? Yeah, emotional intelligence. I mean, we were talking before the break about the fact that no matter what business you're in, you're in the people business. And the fact is leadership is a relationship. And the reason that emotional intelligence is so important, and I think this is particularly evident right now as we're going through this coronavirus pandemic, is the recognition that unless people – calm their central nervous system, they really can't think all that straight. I'm sure many of our listeners here have had that experience over the last couple of months of just, wow, you know, when I'm all stressed out or anxious, it's really hard to get things done. So what leaders have to recognize is as much as we are leading, we are actually the chief energy officer. And all there's lots of great research, and the book goes into this, but there's a lot of research that shows that emotions are highly contagious. And if that wasn't enough, the emotions of leaders are the most contagious. And that's because our followers are constantly checking in and looking to us to set the tone, because what they want to know are three questions. What does this mean? What should I do? And am I going to be safe? Or am I going to be okay? And so 
leaders need to understand they set the emotional tone and by creating, let's say, a sense of calm, it actually lets people calm and relax their central nervous system because the way our brains work, there's three parts to our brain. There's what we'll call the neocortex, the thinking part, which humans have and other species don't. We've got the limbic system, which is where emotions live. And then we've got a reptilian brain that runs all of the automatic processes like your heart rate or your lungs, which you and I are not thinking about right now, but they're working just fine. And so what happens is if we are in this kind of what we'll call a high arousal state is that basically all of the brain energy traffic goes to those lower parts because they're much more focused on survival. So you've heard the fight or flight reflex. Well, that's what's going on in those moments. And the thing is when you're in fight or flight or flea mode, you don't have the bandwidth in your brain to be able to do higher level functioning which means you can't do your job because your job involves thinking for a living. Everyone has to think these days. And so you can't do your work if you're so focused on survival. And so the goal of emotional intelligence and for leaders to have it is to be able to help the team regulate their own emotional lives so they can perform at their best. So there's this great science that's behind what oftentimes in the past, you know, 10, 15 years ago, this subject was seen as really soft and fluffy and weird. And why are we talking about this? But right. the fact is how we feel profoundly impacts how we perform. Absolutely. So I would like to ask you, what is a motivational choice architect? You discussed this in your book. So what is it and how are leaders supposed to become one? And what the heck is a motion, motivational choice architect? Yeah. So this whole field of choice architecture comes from something known as behavioral economics, which some of the listeners may be familiar with. I'll just give an example that comes from this. The idea is that we can influence people's behavior with some little nudges in the environment. So as an example, if you want to get people, Brian, to eat smaller portions of food, it's been shown through studies that if you serve the food on smaller plates, people will eat less because it seems like they're filling up more of the plate. Again, and sort of an optical illusion, but it works. And there's a lot, there's dozens of studies that show that we can influence people. So when I think about motivation and being a motivational choice architect, what we find in the studies of intrinsic, which is internal or external and extrinsic motivation, is that, you know, ultimately for people to be have sustained motivation, you can't motivate them from the outside, which means that people need to motivate themselves, which doesn't give you a pass, by the way, as a leader. What it means is you now have to create an environment or design an environment where people are more likely to motivate themselves. So when I talk about becoming a motivational choice architect, it means that leaders create a culture where people can perform at their best. And in my research, I found there are four human needs that need to be satisfied for people to perform at their best. The first is the need for safety. Like we all have a need for safety. Obviously right now we're all dealing with physical safety, but we also have a need for psychological safety. For example, there's some leaders where we feel comfortable saying, hey, you know, Brian, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Other people, <laughs> that might feel like a career limiting move. So that's safety. There's also a need for energy. We need to be in an environment that energizes us. I'm mean, sure many of us have had the experience of being on a two or three hour conference call that just goes on and on and on. And mm -hmm. we're just like, okay, shoot me now. This is worse than anything, right? So yeah, so the need for energy. Then we have a need for purpose. We have this need that we want to know that what we're doing 
matters, that it somehow we are contributing to something greater than ourselves. And we also have this need for ownership, this sense that I am free or autonomous to be able to do my own work, that no one's breathing down my neck and micromanaging me. So with these four needs, and I go through you know dozens of different tools to bring out these needs. An example, I'll just give you an example from like the need for energy is make sure you schedule a break every 75 minutes or more often because mm-hmm. people can't possibly go two hours. So scheduling a break, a leader can do that. That's an easy thing to do. Uh, another thing to do is if you can get people to stand up every so often because, again, we can't just sit. And in front of our screens, eight, 10 hours a day. So getting people to stand up to move, um, obviously it's harder now with a pandemic, but the idea there are things that as leaders we can do to shape the environment. And so the more that we can be aware of those things, the better we can do and design them. Because the fact is all leaders design cultures. Great leaders design cultures by design. Mediocre leaders design their cultures by default because they're just mm. they're just they're just not thinking about it and what ends up happening is what ends up happening and we like to say culture is what it feels like to work around here yeah. and so we have and, and that for each of us as a leader even in a large organization we are the primary shaper of the culture for our direct team and our direct reports that's fantastic and there are some ways that a leader can build a really great energized work culture do you have a couple of suggestions yeah so first of all You know, people more than what you say are going to be watching your cues. What do you do? So Albert Schweitzer, who won won the Nobel Prize twice, said example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. So first of all, Mm -hmm. if you want your team to be energized, how are you showing up? You know, you can't expect anything from anyone else that you're not going to do yourself. So first of all, how are you showing up to be energized? Uh, We talked about taking breaks as well. Another key thing to energize people is – Instead, we talked about this a little bit before, but to be more direct around it is ask less, I should say tell less and ask more. So in other words, if your meetings tend to be you talking a whole lot, instead, how can you refocus and reframe them so you're asking or pulling, drawing things out of people instead of pushing things into them? So those are some simple ways to get people involved. You know, the more that we can have people reflect on whatever we're doing relates to their own experience, the more engaged they're going to be. Because I'm sure you've probably heard this, Brian, but, you know, you've heard the the thing, what's everyone's favorite subject to talk about? Themselves. Themselves. Exactly. So the more that we can get people engaged and involved and and making things relevant to their own lives, to their own jobs, the more energy they're going to bring to it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love the fact that you brought up meetings because I want to ask you, how can we make things easier with this, you know, shutdown? I think we're finding out how many meetings actually could have been an email, right? <laughs> so many. So many. So how can we make meetings more effective? Yeah, well, number one is I'm amazed how many people have meetings. Like, Why are you meeting? Because it's Tuesday at 10 o'clock. You know, the time of the day and the day of the week is not a good reason to meet. You need to have a purpose to your meeting. So the first thing I'd say is make sure you have a very clear purpose and then make sure that only the right people who are involved in that purpose are there. Frankly, if you want to get input, any meeting that is more than eight people is too big. You know, you otherwise, how can you reframe it? That's not really a meeting. That's more of a gathering of people. And people mm-hmm. are just sitting there passively and they're bored and they're going, yeah, you could have sent this to me as an email, like you were saying before, Brian. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is have a clear purpose and then 
map out the agenda and be really clear what it is we're trying to do. Too many people suffer from what I call meeting soup. They're like, okay, we're going to meet. Well, first we're going to talk about this strategy, and then we're going to get some input around this from that, and then we're going to make some decisions about this, and then we're going to revisit. It's like, whoa, hold on. Like those are five different meetings. So realizing you know, the purpose of this meeting may be to gather information from all relevant stakeholders. Like that's the meeting right there. Now the purpose of the meeting is to review the decisions on the table or to generate a bunch of ideas or to make a decision. Those are all discrete, different steps in the problem-solving process. But to try to do them all at the same time, this is why people come out of meetings going, give me some Tylenol, please. What were we trying to do? Right. Right. So we have to – so I'd say creating clarity and alignment as to why we're doing what we're doing and what it is we're actually doing would go so far, so far. So that – you know, everything else becomes meeting hygiene. Uh, yeah. But though, that's the main structural things that need to change. I mean, there are things you can do to simplify your meetings as well, um, yeah. as well as well as there are ways to co-opt people and get them involved. So, for example, do you have a facilitator? Do you have a timekeeper? Do you have a scribe? Like one person doesn't need to hold all of those roles. So finding ways to have the team support the objective. It's amazing. You know, many hands makes for light work. And so we should start thinking about that when we're leading our team meetings. Absolutely. We've got about a minute or so to our break. I want to ask you real quickly, how can leaders build trust? Because when we don't trust our leaders, communication doesn't always turn out well. Yeah, well, there's two big pieces to trust. So what we'll call the kind of the head trust and there's heart trust. And the fancy psychologist would call that cognitive trust and affective trust. But we can just call it head and heart trust because yeah. we're those because that's how we roll. All right. So let's talk about trust here. So let's start with heart trust. So heart trust means that people feel that they can show up fully themselves. And the way to do that is through building empathic connection. And the strongest way to build empathy with someone is to hold space and to listen to them, right? To, again, understand their perspective and care how they feel and show some concern. Because when people know that you care, they're going to trust you a lot more. So that's how you start to build heart trust. How you build head trust is through credibility. And I write a whole chapter in this in the book around what are things you can do to develop credibility? Because credibility trust or head trust is this idea that someone knows that you are competent and you are going to follow through. So here's the most basic. We are actually coming up against our break. We'll finish that thought when we come back. This is Success Profiles Radio. The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. 
This is the TokiNet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Lan Hunkins. His book is called Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. If you have not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio on iTunes, please go ahead and do that. Leave a review. It would be very meaningful. Before the break, we were talking about how leaders can build trust with their team. And you talked about two types of trust. You talked about heart trust, and you were just about getting ready to talk about head trust. What does that mean, please? Yeah, head trust is the way that basically we show people that we deserve to be in the roles that we are as leaders. And that really boils down to our credibility. As two of my mentors write, their names Jim Cousins and Barry Posner write in their book, The Leadership Challenge. They write, if we don't believe the messenger, we won't believe the message. And so if we think about this idea of head trust or competence and, and credibility, the first thing we can do is really simple. It's you're, I'm going to say you're going to go, oh my gosh, that makes total sense, which is show up on time, right? <laughs> think about being present or absent. It's the simplest, it's the easiest thing to measure. You're either there or you're not. Mm-hmm. And everything as a leader that we do sends a message. Everything we say sends a message. And guess what? Everything we don't do and don't say also sends a message. So when I show up late to my one-on-one with you, I'm sending you a very clear message, Brian, which is, you know what? You're not that important to me. Something else is more important. You know, and whether I have a great story that there's traffic or I had some important client really is secondary. So the first thing is to show up on time because people want to know that you're dependable. That's the first thing. Second thing to building credibility is start to become very conscious of what Mm. you actually commit to. So make a list of this. In fact, what do I say? What are my promises? What do I promise to people? And then am I following through? I'm a huge fan of under promising and over delivering because the the flip side is you're over promising and you're under delivering. And I don't want people to think that way of me. So, you know, we talk a lot about leaders needing to hold people accountable. Have you ever thought about where accountability actually comes from? It actually comes from the field of accounting, right? Accountability, accounting. So if you think about in accounting, we're all familiar with the concept of the balance sheet. So on one side, we have inflow of revenue. On the outside, we have expenses. And when we are in account or accountable, the two sides equal each other. That's the whole point of the balance sheet, where you have your accountant to make sure it works. Well, that's the world of accounting. In the world of leadership, Accountability, the one side of the ledger or the balance sheet is what I say I will do, and the other side is what did I actually do? And when the two sides are equal, guess what? You're in account or you're accountable. So I'm a big believer that leaders actually shouldn't be holding other people accountable because when you do that, you're stepping into that old school parent-child dynamic when in fact what we want to do is we want to upfront create some very clear commitments that have been co-created between leader and follower. What are you going to do, Brian? Well, I'm going to commit to, let's say we're in sales. I'm going to commit to bringing in a million dollars in sales this year. Okay. So now you are accountable. And now my job as a leader is to remind you of the commitment that you have already made and not just remind you, but to support you. So in case if you're not meeting target, I don't come in and say, Brian, if you don't make your target, you're going to be out of a job versus Brian, 
I'm noticing some things are dipping. How can I support you? Right. So it's it's a totally different mindset than a lot of us are familiar with. It's about letting go of that old school command and control leadership and really seeing how can we support people? Because when people feel supported, they actually perform much better. So that's what trust is really the basis of. I love that. Thank you so much for that. You did a TEDx talk. How did that happen for you? How did it happen? A lot of legwork, Brian. So I had a mentor who said, you know, if you want to keep growing your brand, you need to do a TEDx talk. So I went, great. So at the time, I was actually moving to Europe, which is where I've been living for the last 19 months. And I'm actually going to be here for another five months. I'm an American by birth, but I'm living in the Netherlands. So when I came over, I basically, I remember very vividly, my daughter was 11 at the time. I took her to ballet class. And while she's in class for two hours back to back, I'm sitting out there with my laptop. And I just started doing querying of TEDx events all over Western Europe. And then I found a list of about 50 upcoming events, and I cold emailed every single TEDx organizer saying, hey, I have this book. I'm a leadership guy. Would you be interested? And I followed up, and I followed up, and eventually uh, four of them got back to me, and one just had was just filling up. They had someone who canceled, and we got talking, and he said, why don't you come on over and be part of this? So it's funny because people ask me that story, and it's the same way I got the book contract. It's a lot of persistence. One thing I would say, and this is true in leadership, it's true in success, is that one word that people don't hear enough of is consistency. Is It's not very sexy to be consistent. But the fact is, you know, consistency creates this wonderful compounding thing, right? If I, you know, invest a dollar today, it's not going to make much. But if I invest a dollar every day, every day of every year, over time, I'm going to build up a nice nest egg. And so whatever is important to you. So for me... I wanted to do the TEDx and I'm kind of like a dog with a bone. Like once I decide I'm going to do something, I just implement. So go, go, go. So that's the story. No, I wish I could say it was some glamorous thing that I was discovered somewhere, but it was just a lot of hard work. Yeah, that's fantastic. And in your TEDx talk, you discuss the basic truth that most leaders neglect. What is that? Oh, yeah, the basic, and we've been talking about it today, the basic truth most leaders neglect is the fact that leadership is a relationship between two people and that what they need to do is create connection, that ultimately the source of that relationship or the quality of that relationship is all based on the quality of connection. And in the talk, I go through the neurosciences we talked about a bit already, and I share some different examples, but the fact is without connection, you don't really have much to build on. You know, I forget who it was that said, if you want to know that you're a leader, turn around and see who's following you. If Mm. you don't create relationships based on connection at best, only at best, will you get people who are willing to comply because they need a job and they're desperate, but no one is going to give their best efforts. No one is going to give you their commitment. Like every day people decide, you know, we are basically, people are loaning out their talents on skills on a daily basis. And Mm -hmm. as leaders, what do we do consistently to draw them out so they want to continue to do so? And so, yeah, it comes down to the basis. It's all about connection. Yeah. What happens when leader ignores, when they ignore the needs of customers or employees? When we ignore the needs of customers and employees, mm-hmm. oh, that's a simple one. I'd say basically um, we start living in our own vacuum and then pretty much our employees are going to either leave or worse, they'll stay, right? <laughs> Maybe yes. the old, old thing of like they say like, you know, well, we should train our employees. Like, well, what if we train them and we leave? 
what if we don't train them and they stay, right? So what right. we end up getting is, you know, I say, I call it the, the, the land of the zombies. We have too many people in too many organizations who are just phoning it in, going through the motions because, frankly, they just want the paycheck and they're not willing to have the difficult conversation and they don't want to leave. So they stay. And so you look at the rates. I think last time I saw employee engagement globally was hovering at, you know, fully engaged was maybe 17, 18 percent. Mm. So you have a lot of people who are just doing enough because they're like, yeah. And this is what happens when when leaders don't listen to their needs of their employees. Then obviously there's a ripple effect because yeah. if employees aren't feeling valued and cared for and respected, it's really hard to turn around and give your best to your customers. And so yeah. this has the ripple effect, which is why all of the engagement studies show that co companies with higher levels of engagement outperform on a profitability scale by 21%. That comes from Gallup, 21% more profitable based on higher levels of engagement. Fantastic. And I will ask you this right before the end, but how can we find your book? How can we learn more about you? Sure thing, Brian. Yeah, people want to find out more. The easiest way to go is to the book has its own website, which is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. And while you're there, you can learn all about the book. You can also download the first chapter and give it a little test run with chapter one. And that page will link you right to my website so you can learn all about my other speaking, coaching, and consulting work. And I'm happy to, and I have a contact page. You can also connect with me right from there on LinkedIn. And I'm always happy to talk to people about how I can help them to become stronger leaders personally and organizationally. Fantastic. So what is your superpower? What do you think you do better than anyone else? What I think I do really, really well is I hold space for people to show up fully as themselves. Wow. That's so important because a lot of people don't do that or they want to know more how to do that, but they just aren't sure how. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, I mean, it's been 25 years of practice. That's yeah. why it's a superpower now, but it's something that people can learn. It's something that I teach. It's part, it's a basic part of leadership. Absolutely. So what has been the most influential book or mentor you've encountered in your journey? Wow. Great question. Probably the most influential book in the leadership vein has been, I mentioned them before, Jim Cousins and Barry Posner, uh, their leadership challenge. It may, it, it, for me, it demystified leadership. It took it off. Oh, it's got to be Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi. They it really started to realize that everyone is a leader and these are the skills that all of us need. So for me, it democratized leadership. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. What is the biggest risk you've ever taken in business and did it work out? Mm, yeah, the biggest risk I took was I had a, a fairly cushy, steady job as a corporate trainer for an external training company, and I walked away from that to start my own leadership consultancy. And yeah, it's worked out well. Uh, at the time, I'm a fairly risk-averse person by nature, and yeah. when I finally left, I had a number of mentors that said, you should have done this 10 years ago, but right. I, wasn't ready. I, I wasn't personally ready for it. So yeah. as I've stepped further in life, I'm finding that stepping out on a bigger stage and taking risks is definitely worth it because, as you know, as Wayne Gretzky probably famously said, you know, you miss all the shots you never take. And life's right. short. <laughs> Absolutely. If you could talk to the 18-year-old version of yourself, what would you tell him? Oh, I would tell the 18-year-old version of myself that the, the story that you think that good work should speak for itself is a total crock. It's a myth. Mm. It doesn't. If it did, you wouldn't need a marketing team. And so what I would do, 18-year-old self, is start cultivating and maintaining and sustaining relationships because really the relationships that you build with others are going to be what's going to separate you from where you are today from the person that you want to become. 
Fantastic. And the question I ask everyone toward the end, who inspires and motivates you? Mm, that is a great question. Frankly, my wife, <laughs> my wife inspires and motivates me. Um, she challenges me to continue to be a better man, a better husband. She is an amazing mom. So she's, she has some amazing ideas. We have a 16 and 13 year old uh, kids now. And um, the, just the way she has parented them leaves me in awe. And so I feel like I can always do better. So in some ways, she both supports me and she challenges the heck out of me. And I love her for it. That's fantastic. And one more time, how can we find you? How can we learn more about you? How can we tribe and vibe with you? Absolutely. Come and tribe and vibe. I love that. Come find me at www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com and come and learn all about me. And if I can, again, if I can be of support service, please reach out. Happy to set up a, a, a quick phone call or whatever that might, or a Zoom call to see how I can be of service to you and your leadership. Fantastic. And any final thoughts as we close out? I want to just thank you, Brian, for a fantastic conversation. I'm just, I've been inspired by your curiosity and your energy and your enthusiasm, which, by the way, are three incredibly important leadership qualities. I love it. Thank you so much for being here, Alan Hunkins. I did pronounce your name correctly this time, didn't you I? You did a great job. Thank <laughs> you so much, Brian. Yeah. Thank you great. so very much. And thanks to all of you for being here. This has been Success Profiles Radio. And one more time, go ahead and get the book. It is called Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. If you want to learn more about connecting with people, communicating with people, and collaborating with people in a way that is a win-win for everybody, go ahead and get that book. We've talked about some of the greatest points in the book, but there's so much more. It's so research-based. You're going to love it. Get it now. And I'll talk to you next week. This has been Success Profiles Radio. Join us where I interview world-class achievers every week at 6 p.m. Eastern on Mondays, and we learn more about how we can achieve more and what the great achievers have overcome and the lessons we can learn along the way. Take care, everyone. Have a great day. Goodbye. Thank you for being a part of Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. We'll have guests that will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. If you've ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living, then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join us again next week for more Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright.